Hi. Good morning. It's so good to see all your faces. Glad you're here. Um, glad to be here myself. And uh, we are, in terms of scriptures, we are finishing out the book of Romans today. So, big deal. Yeah, we've been going through this for a long time. So we're looking at Romans 16, verses 21 through 27 this morning. And um, like I said last week, I think Josh, uh, since he's still traveling, will probably give us one final kind of Romans sermon uh, to kind of truly wrap wrap up this whole sermon series next week. But in terms of the, the verses proper and my part in it, this is, this is it. So that said, why don't we stand together, hear God's word, picking up in Romans 16, verse 21. God's word says this. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sasa Pater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Eurastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortus greet you. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This is God's word. Remain standing. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, thank you for your word to us in the scriptures. Lord, use it for your purposes in our lives, ultimately for your glory in our lives and in all the earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, you may be seated. All right, church. So I want to dive in right away. Um, and I'll just tell you what I want to do with the time I have in the next few moments is do two things. Number one, I want to give us an outline to kind of frame the text and kind of give us some structure to think about as we look at these verses. And then secondly, I want to just make a few observations of what we see in these verses themselves. So outline, observations, about three observations, that should be the deal for this morning. So in terms of outline, to, to waste no time, dive us right in. Um, the outline, as I would, would uh, kind of lay it out, would be maybe somewhat intuitive as you kind of look at the text in your own Bibles. And as I, you know, I'm helping you out a little bit with the screen there. But I would, I would uh, basically lump it into two big chunks. So I'd say verses 21 through 23 uh, would be one, you know, one section, the first chunk. And that's what I would call uh, final greetings from eight godly guys. Uh, And then the second chunk would be verses 25 through 27, and I would label that chunk a closing doxology to a glorious God. So final greetings from godly guys, doxology to a glorious God, and that would be how I would break up these verses and kind of lay them out for us just to kind of get that 30,000 foot perspective on, on these verses. Uh, And, you know, this isn't part of one of my points or one of my observations proper, but just briefly to note um, that first section about, you know, these guys, I'm calling the godly guys, 
um, it's, it's neat because it's one of these moments in the scriptures in the Old, or not Old Testament, sorry, the New Testament, where we see um, there's the really kind of cool overlap if we look at names that pop up and try and search for other places where we see these names referenced. And the book of Acts is hugely helpful as we are trying to piece together the life and the ministry of Paul and what's going on for him. And so it's really cool because if we look at some of these, these, you know, these eight guys, these names that are named, some of them we don't know hardly anything about. We, we look at it and we go, I, yep, this is the one and only time we see this name listed in the New Testament. Don't know anything else about the guy. But praise the Lord, he's here. You know, he, he had some relationship to Paul. He's doing something uh, in the Lord. <clears throat> Uh, but some of them do come up other times. And the big one, who, who's the big one that we see listed here? Yeah, Timothy, I heard it. Uh, Timothy is the guy that is a, just a huge ministry partner with Paul that we see coming up in lots of different places in the book of Acts and also uh, in uh, other places where Paul is talking about his co-workers in his letters. So we see Timothy there. Um, and as we think about the connections to the book of Acts, for this, this letter. So these are, you know, people that are presumably with and around Paul, and he's sending greeting to the Roman church from these guys. And so as we look, when we look at the book of Acts, there's pretty much an a, uh, agreement among those who are really studying the, the book of Romans that this letter was written probably during the course of uh, what is often referred to as Paul's third missionary journey. And so if you're looking for that, you find it in the book of Acts, probably Acts like 18, 19, and 20 is where we see that little stint and that trip in Paul's life. And so as we look in those verses, we actually see not only Timothy mentioned, as we might expect, but we also see overlap of a couple other names. Like, for example, uh, in verse 21, also we have this mention of this guy, uh, Sosipater. Sosipater, I'm not exactly sure how you'd want to pronounce that. Uh, Sasapater. Um, but we also see that name come up in Acts as well during this period of time where he's doing this missionary journey. So it's in Acts 20. We see a name that is very similar, not identical, but we see a reference to a guy named Sopater, which we can take to be that this is probably the same guy being referenced here. Um, secondly, we also see this reference in verse 23 to this, this brother named Gaius, who is noted as um, the host, who is host of Paul and to the whole church. So he's one of these guys who probably has a house church going on in his, in his home. And so we also see a reference to Gaius. If we go again to Acts 20, specifically look at Acts 4, or Acts 20 verse 4, and we see again a reference to a guy named Gaius. So just kind of cool moments where we see uh, names repeating, connections being made, and kind of kind of am able to, or we are able to kind of be, begin to piece together the flow of uh, Paul's trips and what he was doing for the kingdom. And so that's kind of neat in and of itself, just from like studying the Bible. But kind of the bigger like spiritual takeaway there in my mind is that these are all relationships that exist because of Jesus. These guys know each other. Paul knows these guys. These guys are greeting the church in Rome because the gospel is doing things in the world. Right? God, by his Holy Spirit, is at work among people, and he's connecting people, and he's building and growing the church, and mission is advancing, and, and that is all the work of God in the world, and that's what we're seeing kind of hinted at by these names. 
And just as much as that is happening in uh, the life of the church in Paul's day, that is continuing to happen in our day as well. The Holy Spirit is, is connecting people, right? He's drawing people together, creating new relationships because, the, because of the gospel, right? Because Jesus and his, his name and fame is being proclaimed. Uh, I thought this week, uh, I mean, one example, this room, right? I mean, some of you are family <laughs> with each other. And so you would know each other anyway. But, like, I think about me, like, I wouldn't know any of you if it were not for the gospel of Jesus, right? If it weren't for Christ being at work in the world. To me, that's an amen and a hallelujah. I'm glad I know you guys because of Jesus. Uh, I think also of, uh, we got an email, a sweet email from Hope Rudigangwa this week. Many of you know Hope and Godfrey who do the ministry in Rwanda. And the, the email I got from Hope was an email giving us an update about this little girl that we helped sponsor, by God's grace, in Rwanda to do some schooling. And so we got this update about this little girl, you know, kindergartner's life in Rwanda. Like, what business do I have to know a little girl in Rwanda <laughs> and to, to, to know what's going on in her life and how her, you know, year of kindergarten went? I have no business to know anything about this little girl except for in Jesus Christ. That God, by his grace, is kind of knitting us together and creating this beautiful thing of kind of connecting us and enabling us to bless one another in sweet ways through the gospel. And that's, uh, that's still going on today. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing in my mind, anyway. So, praise the Lord for gospel connections. Godly guys, godly gals, little people, all the things. So that was, um, I feel like already I'm pushing, I'm pushing my luck because, you know, that wasn't even one of my, my three observations. That was a freebie. Um, so I got to keep trucking. Verse, uh, first observation proper here is you'll notice in the outline, um, I, I talked about an outline being from, yeah, verse 21 to 23 and then verse 25 to 27. Do you notice anything missing? Verse 24, right. There should be a 24 between the 23 and the 25. Why is verse 24 missing? Did I, did I mess up? Uh, is the Bible faulty? Is there a conspiracy that somehow grabbed verse 24 and took it out of our Bibles? I'm, I'm curious. As you guys look at the Bibles you have in front of you, does anyone have in the, in the text proper, not a footnote, but in the text, do you have verse 24? Okay, I see a few hands. So mostly no's, a couple yeses. And so, so yeah, raise the question. Okay, ver, ver, we just skipped over verse 24. My, my ESV translation of the Bible just bypasses that. I go from 23 to 25. So sh- should I be freaking out about that? Should we be concerned that that, that is the case as we look at our, at our Bibles? And I want to quickly say no. Right? Yes, we did skip it. Yes, there is a verse missing, but we should not be freaking out. Reason why is because, well, big picture, I think we can trust the word of God as we have it uh, translated from copies of God's word. But the reason we don't have verse 24 or some of us don't have verse 24 in our Bibles, except for perhaps a, as a footnote, is because of good work that I would call and that we, that we call textual criticism. We don't often talk about textual criticism on a Sunday, but because, you know, 
I gave an outline and verse 24 was clearly missing. I just felt like I should name it and note it. And I think even pastorally, and even as we're raising kids in the church, it's a good thing to be reflective on the scriptures and how they come to us and translations and these kind of things that we maybe consider a little bit behind the scenes. But um, what I want to say in this is essentially that um, we can trust and rely and know that our, our Bibles are trustworthy. Because this work of what we, what we call textual criticism is actual, just really good, honest, scholarly work of people who have committed their lives to looking at manuscripts, looking at really old fragments of parchment and, and things that have been dug up and found in you know, the ancient Near East and in places all over the world, and have begun to kind of date them and put the pieces together and to say, okay, like I found this manuscript in this language that dates back to this time, and I found this other manuscript of the same text that dates to, to this time, kind of taking all of these pieces and putting them together like a tapestry. And as that happens... You're, you're collecting data points. And the work of textual criticism is to kind of put these data points together and then to say, okay, what is the whole here? And the whole, the more data points you have, the more accurate and the more clear it becomes. And so really, uh, the reason that we can rely and trust that the, you know, the translations that we're looking at are reliable is because the, the longer we have away from the time of the original writing of these these documents, the more data we've collected and the more we've been able to see, okay, this, uh, you know, seven of these manuscripts have this verse in it in this place, but one of them doesn't have this verse in this place. And so we can say, well, as the, the scribes and the guys who were copying down the text uh, were doing their thing, we have, you know, seven uh, kind of witnesses that say this is how it flows. And then we got one that has it, you know, somewhere else or doesn't have it at all or add something in then we can say, okay, the, the evidence supports that if we're going to have the most kind of pure, most kind of accurate to the original writing of the scriptures, let's, ha- let's pull this out and say, this is actually probably better as a footnote, right? And so uh, that, that is what is going on here. And um, I was looking at, at the stats. There's, I mean, we have so many manuscripts. I won't go through the numbers because it's, it's a family Sunday, but tons of, tons of data. And this is good work, scholarly work, that is helping us to know that we can rely on our English translations of God's word and, how, and trust that these are uh, reliable translations of what is coming to us as the original uh, word of God, the manuscripts given to us. So uh, more I could say about that, but is that, is, am I making sense? I'm seeing, I'm seeing some slight nods here. <laughs> So maybe I went on that too long. But um, bottom line, we can trust God's word. Um, and that's why we're missing verse 24. Um, second observation that I want to make here is as we look at the doxology section, those verses 25 through 27, uh, we have, I think, a really important reminder of uh, Paul's purpose. Paul's purpose in God's word and Paul's purpose in his life. And the way we see it there is, I would say, it's Paul's purpose is to proclaim Christ and to see the obedience of faith spread in the world. That is Paul's sense of his mission as we see it in the text. Uh, like I said, we see this in verse, uh, 
the, the kind of the final section, it kind of starts in this really long run-on sentence that is the doxology. Starts in verse 25. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Christ Jesus, goes on, says a lot of other things that we can kind of pull out as parenthetical, but he continues and he brings it home back down in verse, uh, the end of verse 26. So again, so to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, then he goes down, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore. And that is a repeated theme in this letter. Not only do we see Paul talking about the importance of the proclamation of the word in the beginning of the book of Romans and all throughout, but but we actually see this exact phrase, the obedience of faith, at the very beginning of the book. We've talked about this before, but if you look way back at the beginning of the book of Romans, chapter 1 and verse 5, we read there that uh, Paul writes this. He says, through Jesus Christ, he has received grace and apostleship to bring about this same phrase, to bring about the obedience of faith. Uh, And then he says, uh, for the sake of, of Christ, among all the nations, the sake of Christ's name through all the nations. So, so that is, if we want to think about Paul's purpose, very much he's got this sense of he is proclaiming Christ to all the world, especially among those who have not yet known him, especially to the Gentiles, the people of every other uh, you know, language and tribe and tongue, that the obedience of faith might spread in the world. And... Um, when it comes to this phrase, the obedience of faith, there is actually a little bit of back and forth, a little bit of debates, because there's kind of two ways you can take that, that phrase, the obedience of faith. And you can say, okay, is, this the, is the obedience of, of faith referring to kind of initial faith that we might say is like saving faith? Or is the obedience of faith referring to um, more of like ongoing, continuing faith that we might refer to and think more about kind of sanctifying faith in our lives, just continuing obedience. And I think the answer, even though there's kind of people on both sides and reasons to kind of uh, think this is, you know, the case versus that one, the answer to the, to the riddle there is, which one is it? The answer is yes, right? It's both and. The, the, the purpose of Paul, I think, is both the obedience of saving faith, repentance, and also the obedience of sanctifying faith, continuing faith in our lives as we continue to try and work out God's word to, uh, to us and his commands to us in our lives. And I think both of those are part of what Paul sees as his purpose. The, the obedience of faith that is the, the beginning and also the continuing faith as well. At the end of the day, both of these have at the center the same thing, which is Jesus and his gospel. And so that's why I think Paul makes a big deal of the fact that Jesus is the mystery which has been disclosed. Jesus is the the secret which is now made clear. And Paul is excited that this mystery is no longer a mystery. The secret is no longer a secret. The secret is out. And so we can proclaim Jesus everywhere we go. Starting to our, you know, in our own hearts, we can proclaim the, the mystery that is Christ know his reality, know him as the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament points to. And we can also proclaim him to others as the savior of of the world. 
So Paul's purpose is to make Jesus known. As I thought about that this week, it, it struck me a little bit. Maybe this is a goofy connection, um, but I thought about the Wizard of Oz and how um, I'm seeing a scowl from Christopher. This, this is good. <laughs> thought about the Wizard of Oz. Sorry, I didn't mean to call you out. Um, the Wizard of Oz, right? Because at the end of the Wizard of Oz, like, you know, the wizard, right? Oz, the, the guy, he's hiding behind the curtain. Right? He, no one can see him, and, and like, you know, they get to the Emerald City, and Dorothy and, and the crew, right? they get there, and they're, they're figuring out what's going on here, and they pull the curtain back, right? and they see the guy, and he doesn't want to be seen. He says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Right? This is the opposite of that. Right? Right? In, by grace through faith, like, Paul is saying, like, let's pull back the curtain and say, this is Jesus. He is the guy behind the curtain, and we want to make him known everywhere. By grace, through faith, we want to believe in him. We want to obey him. We want to continue to serve him in our lives. Wizard of Oz, does that make sense? Okay, here's maybe a stretch. Like I said, it was a weird thought. We want to pay attention to, to the mystery, right? The man behind the mystery, the obedience of faith. Um, and so, how are we doing in these areas, right? Where do, we, uh, where do we stand before God when it comes to the obedience of faith in our lives? Uh, I would assume most of us are those who have uh, taken that step of initial faith in Christ, right? Repented and believed in Jesus. Where do we stand in terms of that ongoing faith that calls us to continual obedience in the things that God has made clear in his word? That calling is also ours. And we've had Paul, through this book, call us to obedience in various areas um, that, we, that we see in the text. Uh, commands that are given that are still valid and are still ours today as we seek to be faithful disciples of Jesus. So still today, the purpose of Paul uh, to proclaim Christ, his calling and purpose to make Christ known, still ours as well. Third final observation is this. It's that at the end of the story, end of history, it's about glory. The end of the story is glory. Uh, We see this, uh, specifically that last verse. uh, It is glory forevermore. It is praise and honor forevermore given to God in Christ. That is where the story is heading for us. And that is where the story of redemption is leading. Last week, as we were uh, looking at the previous section of the text, we saw in verse 20, uh, Paul reminding the church that Satan uh, would be crushed. The God of peace would soon crush Satan under their feet. Uh, And that's a good thing, right? Paul was reminding God's people uh, in this letter of the victory that is coming, the crushing, the defeat of Satan. You know, that's that's a really good thing. It's a victory, but also it's kind of inherently negative, right? If you look at the end of the story and say, the end of the story is the crushing of Satan, the end. It leaves a little bit to be desired. And so I think what Paul is adding here and picking up on is, it's, it, yes, it's about the crushing and the defeat of Satan, the defeat of evil, the wiping away of everything that is wrong. But more than that, it is about glory. It is about the glory of God, the glory of who he is, us worshiping God and extolling him and praising him, worshiping him rightly. 
as the only wise God, the author of salvation that he truly is. That, uh, that is where the story ultimately is leading, that glory forevermore. Thought this week, uh, maybe my closing reflection of trying to think of things that are glorious, right? We think about, you know, glory is one of those Christianese words that sometimes is hard to wrap our hearts around, wrap our minds around, uh, help us to understand. So I was trying to think, okay, when I, when I think of something that is glorious that I've experienced in my life, what would I, what would I say? What, how would I fill that out? And uh, I think, do I have a picture? Yeah, so I, some pictures of things that I've thought of that might be glorious in our experience. Right, so like really tall, amazing, beautiful buildings can be kind of glorious as you know, things that we create as humans. Uh, you know, sunsets, God's creation in, in the skies can be glorious. Obviously, beach paradises and amazing desserts, can, we can describe those things as glorious. But all of these things just pale in comparison to the glory that will be revealed and to the glory that is God revealed to us in, in the face of Jesus Christ, right? I thought even uh, one last example, I thought of, you know, fireworks shows, right? We're going to experience fireworks probably uh, this week. Those can be kind of glorious experience of sights and sound and just completely overwhelming kind of glorious spectacles. But again, we ain't seen nothing yet, right? All of these glorious things are just shadows that point us to the ultimate glory, which is yet to come. The good thing that is still to come, which is Jesus bringing his whole kingdom, bringing all his, his, his angels, right? The heavenly hosts together to earth, making his home here. That is the glory that we are looking forward to and worshiping him as we were meant to do forever and ever. That's what we're heading towards. Amen. Amen. It's probably wrong to end a sermon series um, on the book of Romans by quoting from a letter from Paul from 2 Corinthians. But this is the last thing I'll read, and then I'll lead us to the, cap- to the table. Uh, speaking of glory, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 4. It says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not only to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. Amen. Pray. Father in heaven, God, you are good. Lord, thank you that as the only wise God, Lord, you have shared who you are with us. You have shared snippets and and little moments of your glory. Lord, you have shared your glory in and through the face of Jesus. The fact that we get to have relationship with him here and now and know you, Lord, even as as though dimly and through shadow. Lord, we look forward to the day in which we will praise you fully and rightly, untainted by sin and brokenness. Lord, thank you that we get to be those who uh, exercise the obedience of faith here and now uh, in, in all the little moments of life. 
and in uh, repentance and faith again and again. God, thank you that this table is a sign, of a, a sign to us of your faithfulness to us and the continued opportunities we have to walk by faith in this life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think I'm failing at keeping this uh, service brief for our children.